Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. I'm over-caffeinated, and my neighbor is trimming hedges about 30 yards away from my microphone, so it's a great time to talk about Week 10 waiver wire action. I've got my weekly buddy here, Derek Klassen, to bring a scouting perspective to my more stat-driven analysis of who you should pick up in your fantasy leagues. Derek, what's going on? I hope you're a little bit more pulled together today than I am. Uh, I'm doing okay. You know, uh, I'm still kind of riding high off of uh, the way that Justin Fields played last night. It was a little, uh, it felt pretty vindicating. So, you know, I, I feel good. <laughs> you know, I, I threw Fields and Pat Fryermuth into my article kind of last minute about midnight last night. So we didn't really have a ton of time to prep for them today for the waiver show, but we've got a lot of good guys to talk about. And given that we're kind of later in the season, probably the number of guys are going to dwindle a bit as we head toward the fantasy playoffs. We're also going to lean a little bit more on your scouting expertise to hear some interesting talk. Today, we're going over the rookie wide receivers that I think are particularly interesting. So hold on for that toward the end of the show. Before we get started, though, let me mention that FO Plus is now on sale for just 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. It's a limited time offer, so you can get all of our stats analysis, fantasy, and betting information. Don't miss out for 99 cents a week. Go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link through the description of the show today. I'll also mention that we are live. Football Outsiders is Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can chat with us live on YouTube or you can watch along on Twitch, Twitter, or Facebook. Uh, tomorrow, Aaron Schatz and Mike Tanier will be talking. Also tomorrow, Edge Sports is debuting the coach rankings for 2021. So that'll be really fun. Uh, it's always a, a fertile land for debate that'll be <laughs> fun to discuss. But uh, Derek, we need to get into the waiver wire guys for this week because we have a lot to discuss. Let's get it started with Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. We've been touting him a little bit for the last few weeks as his snap share has been increasing slowly. Earlier in the year, Kyle Shanahan kind of buried him. It seemed like maybe he had bad practice habits. Uh, not really sure what the what the situation was, but his snap share has now crept up from 67% to 71, 71, 88%, and now 93% last week. Uh, Shanahan kind of made it seem to reporters like he thought Ayuk had turned a quarter a week ago and then he had a really nice fantasy game. Is that what you're seeing too, Derek? Yeah, I think so. And I, I, part of it could just be that the season is spiraling out of control a little bit and he's just like, screw it. I'm just going to grasping you know, at straws. Yeah, just kind of putting his most talented players on the field. Um, but it could also be that Ayuk turned a corner. I don't know. Um, but I think what we're seeing with Ayuk is kind of what people, I think, probably expected from him coming into the year. Mm -hmm. um, I still personally think his role is kind of limited. I mean, if you even look at his next gen like target um, map, he's pretty much only running like those mm -hmm. drift routes that they run over the middle. Um, he ran like a streak route that I think he got a, a target on and then like a couple of uh, speed out routes. Like he, it's pretty limited that what he can do. But I think he's such a good athlete. And I, I think especially when he's just kind of breaking hard in or out. Um, like that, it's really easy for him to to kind of just get the ball rolling and, and and take yards after the catch. And I think they really need that in that offense um, because a lot of these guys, I think even like Devo Samuel is really more of a guy who's really good at the ball in his hands. George Kittle really good at the ball in his hands. Um, that's kind of just what this offense is built on. And I think he's just kind of another guy who is uh, finally stepping up and, and doing a really good job at that. So I think his role in the offense should continue so long as, um, you know, Jimmy can can kind of keep it together the way that he has, I think, as of late. So tell me if I'm misreading this, but it seems to me like you've had a pretty consistent stance that, that Ayuk is limited such that maybe even when the 49ers took him in the NFL draft might have been a little bit ahead of where he probably should have gone to other teams. But my read of this is that like he is a particularly good fit for the 49ers scheme that's like really yak driven. 
same way the Samuel is, same way the Kittle is, just like what you're talking about. So like, even if it was maybe a reach and that Ayuk doesn't have the diverse skill set that could be a number one receiver in a lot of other schemes and offenses, he can really work with that from a fantasy perspective with the 49ers. And like my evidence of that would be like between weeks of seven and 15 last season, he averaged 20.9 PPR points per game. That was the third best among wide receivers in that stretch. Now, I'll also say he did miss two games because of COVID protocols in that stretch, but that's still six games with a ton of fantasy points. Do you agree that he's got a particularly strong fit for the 49ers and maybe that could drive wide receiver two or better value down the stretch for the team this season? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, like to your point, I still think that he is kind of limited in what he does, but I think because the scheme fit is so good, it just doesn't matter. Like if he was playing in, I don't know, Buffalo, he probably isn't yeah. as good because he just doesn't fit as much of what they want to do. But I think to your point, he's a lot better fit for what Shanahan wants to do, particularly all those drift routes that they like to run. I think he's yeah. really, really good at that. Um, and I think he's kind of tougher over the middle than his, like, you know, he's kind of wiry. His body type suggests he might not be great at that, but I think he's really, really good at that. So um, even if I still think the 49ers would be better if they had a, more of a true number one, like X wide receiver who could, mm. who could run those deep stops, you know, deep comeback routes where you could just truly win one-on-one on any route like that, that would be nice. But Shanahan generally does such a good job of scheming these guys open, and he's good at what they ask him to do. So, so beyond even whatever disagreements Ayuk and, and, Ch- and Shanahan had over the first half of the season, there are two other external factors on the 49ers that I think might affect Ayuk down the stretch. One is the fact that, that George Kittle came back last week, and even though there were suggestions that maybe he would be on a bit of a snap count, six catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets, seemed like he was pretty much back to full strength there. Plus, you have the Trey Lance factor where you mentioned that the 49ers are kind of falling out of contention pretty rapidly. I don't know if that'll maybe change the timeline of when Lance would take over, but do either of those things, would they seriously move the needle of what you would see from Ayuk and Fantasy over the second half if they, if they kind of got involved? A Kittle, not so much. Um, he's obviously a fantastic player, but I think um, even with Kittle in the lineup, like they're still going to ask Ike to run a lot of these drift routes and stuff, and he can occasionally be like a little bit of a field stretcher for them. So I think Kittle's involvement in the offense doesn't really hurt too much. Um, with Lance, I think it's just I, I really do. I say this every time, but I really liked him as a prospect, but he's just not a guy who I think is going to produce very well as a passer year one. And I think we've already seen that in the limited action that he's had. And I'm I think it would, even if he eventually maybe gets to a point like we've seen with Fields where he's getting better each and every game, I think it would take, you know, at least a month of him starting before he kind of gets to that point. And by then, like your fantasy season is probably just about over. So, and honestly, I don't even think Lance is going to start this season. I mean, I kind of had that suspicion at the beginning of the year, but even though everybody's coming for Shanahan now and talking about his like overall coaching record, the fact is the 49ers aren't that far out of a wild card spot in the NFC. I think. I think the Falcons are currently the seven seed right now. And they were literally the number 32 team in DVOA last week. I mean, the 49ers are much better from a real world perspective, from a DVOA perspective. So don't be surprised if the Jimmy G led 49ers remain in the playoff mix and therefore he keeps starting, but Hey, that, that would probably be good news for Ayuk. So, you know, that's fine from a fantasy perspective. Uh, I should probably mention that he, uh, I recommended a 31% fab bid for him, but that's important in context of the second player on our list, Elijah Moore, who I'm suggesting is a 16% fab bid. And, you know, that's really more speculation for the fantasy playoffs than it is what I really think he's going to provide for you in the short term. Uh, He had a great fantasy day last week, seven catches, 84 yards, and two touchdowns on eight targets. 
Those eight targets were tied for the team lead. But it's important to realize that Corey Davis didn't play last week. He's expected to come back in week 10. Um, meanwhile, you had other guys like uh, Jamison Crowder played more than, than he did, 79% of snaps versus 60%. Denzel Mims played 60%. Keelan Cole was involved at 49%. So, I mean, there's a lot of mouths to feed here. We were hoping the Jets might trade away somebody like Crowder to give uh, to, to give more a little bit more of a shot, especially because he seems like he has the versatility to play from the slot. That didn't happen. So, Derek, like, do you think that this was sort of a, just a circumstantial game, especially with Davis being out? Or do you think that maybe now that the Jets are past their bye in the second half of the season, they're going to prioritize trying to get the ball to more? I, I mean, I would hope that they try to prioritize getting the ball to more because I know his um, production has kind of been uh, hit or miss. But I think if you just watch him play, I think he does a really good job getting open. He's a really like willing blocker. So I think they can keep him um, in the slot and outside. I think he does a really good job blocking from both spots. Like, I think he's just a really well-rounded player. Um, he provides a little bit of yak. I think he gets open consistently. He's maybe not like the biggest burner, um, but I think that's fine. I think he still does such a good job at, at so many other things. So I would hope that they get more, a little bit more involved. But I think to your earlier point, like, they do have so many mouths to feed if they can get guys healthy. Um, and I think because a lot of them can kind of move a little bit in and out of the slot, I think that hurts him a little bit too, just because it's not like he's unique in that sense of the offense. Um, so I am a little bit skeptical about him producing that much this year for the reasons that they have a bunch of mouths to feed. And also like this quarterback situation, man, like I just, <laughs> I don't know when or how healthy Mike White is going to be in the, in the few, next few weeks. Um, Zach Wilson just hasn't been good. And we don't know how healthy he's going to be. Like, I don't know if what Josh Johnson did at the end of that game is sustainable. Like the quarterback situation is really probably more scary to me than whatever they have else in the wide receiver room, I think. I mean, I'm glad you brought up the quarterbacks. I'm actually going to steal a bunch of points for my rookie discussion from later. Honestly, forgot that we were talking about more in potentially two places here. <laughs> but, but Moore has a negative 42.6% receiving DVOA. That's the second worst among the 64 wide receivers with 32 or more targets. But I think it's important to realize that Moore has seen a catchable target on just 55% of his passes. That's the second lowest rate among those players. And if you're looking at the quarterback-related splits and targeting Moore, it's really stark. So Zach Wilson has completed 40.9% of his passes for 3.6 yards per attempt when targeting more. Uh, but Mike White, 66.7% completion rate and 9.3 yards per target no more. So it's like, wow, the quarterbacks seem to have made a huge difference here. And granted that White hasn't played a ton yet, so maybe that would come down a little bit. But is there any reason to expect that either Wilson would get dramatically better in the second half or maybe more pointedly, is it possible that White could maybe keep starting even after Wilson got healthy he had such an amazing performance, um, but, you know, you assume that Wilson's going to be the future, right? If the Jets, for whatever reason, think that winning games is important this year, Mike White will start. And I think that that's probably better for more in the sense that, like, um, I think because he's not a huge bodied guy and not necessarily the best at, like, boxing people out, I think he does it okay for his size. But, like, it means that you can't really be late throwing to him. Um, he does a really good job of getting open and he's going to, to separate and stuff. But, like, you have to be able to hit him in time and there's not as much of a margin for error as there might be um, with, I mean, even other guys in that offense like Keelan Cole or something. Mm -hmm. um, that just doesn't exist. Whereas, like, Zach Wilson, like we've talked about it before, he just doesn't have that that timing down, especially on their true dropback stuff. Like, that's just not what his game is right now. He's late a lot, especially over the middle yeah. of the field. And I think for more in particular, 
that is an issue. Whereas like, you know, even for Davis in that offense, not as much of an issue. He's a big guy who can, you know, he, he can catch balls out of his frame a lot more comfortably. So um, I'm not too confident that Wilson's going to get there this year. Maybe he will next year and, and this is all fine. But I think for the remainder of this year, for Moore's fantasy sake, you're probably just hoping that White continues to start. I think you are. But like, even if that does happen, I don't think that the week nine performance is really in character of what you can expect from him the rest of the season. He had eight targets, which seemed like a really good number, but that was just 15.1% target share because I think the Jets ended up throwing maybe 51 or 52 pass attempts because they were down and, and had to pass to catch up. Overall for the season, it's a 14.3% target share for more that's outside the top 60 wide receivers. Uh, and even with the two touchdowns last week, it's just 1.1 expected touchdowns for the season. Uh, both his touchdowns this last week were from 19 yards out from the end zone. So you just, it's not like he's being targeted like a Jimmy Graham type or anything. It's like he'll probably break some over the course of the season, but I just don't think the fantasy value is probably going to be there. Still suggesting the 16% fab bid because maybe it could change. Might Maybe I could start. Uh, maybe they'll prioritize getting him on the field, but I think it's, uh, it's more of a, a sleeper, like a high ceiling, low floor type of option for you for the fantasy playoffs, not, not for like an immediate gain. I wanted to thank Eddie Rumpenstein for the comment. I actually don't really understand it, but appreciating everybody on YouTube that is sending us comments. We'll be happy to get to your thoughts, to your trade questions in fantasy, whatever the case may be. Uh, and again, Football Outsiders is live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Some combination of me and Derek talking fantasy Tuesday and Friday. Got Mike Tanier and Aaron Schatz doing other stuff on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So keep that in mind. Sticking with the waiver wire talk for week 10, we've got Adrian Peterson up next, running back for the Titans. Uh, last week was the big week to scramble for him. I definitely probably overestimated how much you should spend on him in fantasy. Uh, at this point, I'm suggesting a 6% fab bid if he's still out there for your league because Peterson was less the featured back than I think I expected. I think many expected. He played 33% of snaps. Dante Foreman played 21%. Jeremy McNichols played 45%. So it seemed like a kind of a committee there. Derrick Henry, by the way, was consistently between 59% and 81% over the start of the season. Uh, so do you think this is going to continue to be a committee, Derek? Or is it possible that, you know, you know, Peterson was off the street a week ago. He maybe needs more than a week of ramp up. Could, could this develop into a like, you know, not Derrick Henry type of role, but maybe like a back end RB2 in fantasy? I still think that that's possible because like the Titans won and they, and they had a great game and they beat the Rams, but like mm. they didn't win because they were doing what they wanted to do on offense. They won because the defense played yeah. out of their mind and got Fair a point. couple of just really weird plays out of Matt Stafford. Like the offense was like below average. And I think that's in part because they weren't able to do this, you know, um, downhill play style of game that they were able to do with Henry. And obviously Peterson is never going to be as good as, as Henry has been in this offense. But I think to your point, like he was off the street a week ago, like they started him on the practice squad technically. Like, I think it's, you know, it's hard to gauge exactly what the ceiling for this is, but I do think that the longer he plays in this offense, they're going to try to get him more involved and get him more comfortable being that guy. I don't think they want to lean on Jeremy McNichols. If anything, maybe Deonta Foreman is like the guy you should be worried about because he mm, fits yeah. the similar style of running and what, what they would maybe want to do. But I think, they really want to get back to that under center and, and really pound at you style of play and get comfortable with that. Um, and Peterson, I think, is probably their best guy for that. I, like I said, I really don't think they want to be this like lean on McNichols shotgun type of offense. It's just not it's just not what they are. Absolutely. I mean, McNichols, I think, is a pretty traditional receiving back. And that just it's not going to have a big place in this offense because, again, they're they're under center, their handoffs, their play action passes 
there's play action passes. They want to take shots down the field, especially with guys like AJ Brown. They don't want to dump it off to, you know, McNichols coming out of the backfield. Uh, and even his 45% snap share, he, he had been close to 40% throughout most of the season anyway. So it was like his role didn't change very much. So with Peterson, you're definitely hoping that he takes more over for, for Dante Foreman. And I, I think that can happen. But if you're looking at the stats from this last game, it looks like a committee. Like even though Peterson scored the one touchdown, the expected touchdown totals were much more split. He had three red zone carries. McNichols had two. Foreman had one. So it kind of adds up to a, a full-on committee. So I will say that even, like, let's say he's already on rosters in your fantasy league. He may be a trade target, but not even so much this week because, you know, they're playing the Saints next week. The Rams, who we think of as being a great run defense because of last year, um, because of Aaron Donald, they're just 18th in run defense DVOA, but the Saints are second, and they cut run plays by a ton. Like, teams don't even try to run too much against them. So this might be another like 20 yard game for Peterson. And maybe that's the time to trade for him. I don't know. Are you into the timing with that? Or is like, maybe that helps too with Peterson's maybe ramp up to a higher workload. No, I, I think that makes perfect sense. And like, honestly, I think the Rams run defense unit, I think I trust them slightly more than where DVOA has them. Um, so it's not too surprising that they, they mm -hmm. kind of did a pretty good job against Tennessee. Um, but I think to your point, they're running into a really, really good run defense um, with the Saints, like, I mean, their linebacker core is just, yeah, they have one of the best in the league. And I think that's going to be really important because um, you need your linebackers to, to really fit fast against the Titans. That's the way to stop. They, they play such they play a running style that is such that, like, if their guy gets momentum, it's very bad for you. But if your linebackers are feeling fast and don't really give them that, I think you can you can hold them to some pretty some pretty low gains. So I think to your point this week, probably not it for Peterson, especially with him still being pretty new to the offense. But maybe down the stretch of the year after that, he, he could have some value. All right. Next up on the waiver list, we have Kenyon Drake running back for the Raiders. I'm suggesting a 5% fab bid here. You know, before the season started, we kind of expected the role that Drake played last week where he would get a lot more receiving back work and maybe he could get into that flex range, even though Jacobs, you expected to be kind of the lead back the between the carries back or between the tackles back. And that did finally happen on, on Sunday, four carries for 30 yards, but six catches for 70 yards on eight targets. Uh, the one that I'm getting to here is that when both Drake and Jacobs had been healthy together under John Gruden, Drake had had five, zero, one, and two targets. So set a new high for the season with eight on Sunday. Uh, part of that maybe too with rugs being out. Do you think that like Drake could be part of the, the solution, I guess, to replacing those targets, you know, given that he was their number one receiver in terms of target share? Uh, I mean, that game was eight targets or whatever is probably, you know, pretty generous. But I do think he can probably be a bigger part of their passing offense than he's been. I think he's shown some really impressive moments throughout the year. Like when they split a back out to, to catch passes, whether it's empty or just like a weird shotgun formation or whatever. He's been the guy like I think he had like one out and up against um, the Dolphins, maybe. Or, or no, I think it was uh, the Broncos or something where he, mm -hmm. he caught like an out and up touchdown. Um, just stuff like that. I think the fact that they were already comfortable having him do that has been important. And the longer he's been in this offense, I think he's looked a little bit better doing that. And to your point, now that they they don't have rugs in the offense, I think especially over the next few weeks, like I think they just signed Deshaun Jackson, but like they did. it's pretty unlikely that Jackson's going to immediately be like a, a super big uh, player in this offense. I think it'll probably take him a few weeks to get to get acclimated, get comfortable with Carr, Carr comfortable with him, that sort of thing. Whereas Drake has already been in the offense, and I think. Um, to your point, he kind of just adds something that they maybe don't have at receiver right now. So um, I think it's probably a pretty, pretty decent bet that he's going to continue to get some workload in the passing game. 
And I think Deshaun Jackson had maybe 15 targets with the Rams in eight games. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not like he was lighting the world on fire. I think he also turns right. 36 years old in December 1st ish. So, you know, this isn't exactly the guy from 2012 or whenever it was at the peak, even if he could stay healthy. So like, I don't think that's a big threat. Uh, Brian Edwards and Zay Jones each had four targets while playing 90% of snaps. So you're saying like, maybe that was game scripts, like, or maybe it was just matchup driven or whatever, but you know, Derek Carr also targeted a running back on 38.3% of his aim passes in week nine. Only my guy, Sam Darnold was higher with Christian McCaffrey back. No other quarterback above 30%. So even if it was game script, you're like, it seems to be trending a little bit more toward a conservative offense. You probably hate it. Cause you just read a few weeks ago about how great Derek Carr had been aggressively pushing the ball down the field, but like, what's he going to do? He doesn't have the options anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what's he going to do? Like, Ruggs was, was kind of his best guy for that. And I think I've even said it when I, I even said when Carr was playing well, like outside of Ruggs and Renfro, I didn't think their receivers were good at all. I think mm-hmm. Brian Edwards really is not that good. Um, Zay Jones, it's the fact that they're getting production out of him is amazing because I don't think he's very good either. So, <laughs> um, but I think all of that is nice for Drake because it's not like these wide receivers are particularly great and going to just have these insane, you know, pop-off performances where they steal a bunch of targets from him. Like Drake is as good of a receiver for his position as, as these guys are or even better. So I think this is probably pretty good for him still. Also, since Rich Basaccia took over as the new interim head coach, uh, Peyton Barber has been a healthy and active the last couple of weeks. So, Whatever type of like doghouse situation was going on with with Gruden and Drake, at least that seems to be over. So I think you can trust the workload a little bit, even if we wouldn't say he's better than, you know, a a deeper league flex option in a PPR format type of thing. Uh, A few weeks or a few minutes ago, I also said that uh, that Ruggs was the leading target share guy for the Raiders. That was definitely untrue. Sorry, the caffeinated state. I'm kind of all over the place. The leading target share receiver for the team is actually Hunter Renfro, who is also up next on the waiver list here which I'm suggesting a 3% fab bid here, obviously playing from the slot. um, But, you know, he got a little bit extra work, I would say, even though he was just 65% of snaps, it was just his third game all season with a 60% snap share. And uh, so he's had eight or nine targets in four of seven games as well. So like he was already kind of borderline a fantasy option, but I'm curious if you think his target share is going to go up again, just because it's not like he's replacing what Ruggs did per se. It's just that who exactly is Carr going to throw the ball to? I'm thinking that even a small uptick for Renfro might make him a fantasy worthy option. I agree. And I think especially like, I think the biggest thing we've seen, especially over the past couple of years with Carr is just like his chemistry and trust with the receiver is really important. Um, And I think other than obviously Waller, like Renfro is very clearly the best guy for that in this offense. He's been around the longest um, I think Carr has always been really comfortable throwing the short area of the field, and that's obviously where Renfro yeah. is going to win. So to your point, he's obviously not going to just you know fill in for rugs and start taking the top off or anything. But I think um, Carr is probably, until at least Jackson maybe gets comfortable in the offense, Carr is probably going to be really comfortable just checking the ball down to Renfro and, and hoping that he can beat defenses you know, seven, eight yards at a time, that sort of thing. Yeah, so like in a PPR format – Think that could potentially add value both he and drake i think both of them work from a fantasy perspective in that sense all right let's move on from the raiders and hit some waiver options that are on other teams next up is hunter henry not hunter renfro tied in for the new england patriots uh the caffeine is killing me here uh recommended <laughs> fab bid three percent so I, I mean he's a little bit of a tougher sell from a ppr perspective he's tied for 20th among tight ends with a 12.9 percent target share on the season and even while the discussion has been that Henry seems to be kind of taking over for John o. Smith a little bit in what was expected to be a bit more of a balance, 
there's not really a trend in target share that suggests that's the case. It was 11.8% in weeks one to three, 13.7% the last five or six weeks or so. But what Henry seems to be doing is catching touchdown passes. He's got one in five of his last six games. And so I'm wondering if, you know, once you're past the top guys and tight end in fantasy anyway, like none of these guys are getting a ton of targets. Is there a reason to buy into Henry as a guy that maybe will actually score some touchdowns for you? I kind of think so. I think for PPR specifically, he's probably really bad. Um, not even like I think he does a decent job of getting open and stuff. And, and Jones has gotten a little bit more comfortable throwing over the middle where I think that's obviously where he shines, especially compared yeah. to Johnny Smith. Um, Smith has been more of like a gadget type of he, he fits a really weird role for the offense. Um, but anyway, with Henry, like I think it's just part of the the issue that he's going to have with PPR is like the offense is just they're running the ball a lot more. Like they just yeah. don't want to throw as much. And so obviously if you're not even going to throw as much, he's just not going to get as many opportunities, even if Jones is getting more comfortable with him. So that would be my problem with him in that format. But I think to your point in a standard format where um, you don't have one of those top guys and you're kind of just betting that he can catch a couple of touchdowns, um, he's probably a decent bet for that. Cause I do think the Patriots offense as a whole is getting better, which is probably going to mean more red zone opportunities in general. I think they're just getting there more often. Um, so yeah. I think that bodes well for him. And I think he's just kind of their best, you know, big body type of guy that they have. I think he's probably their best ball winner. I think he's their best guy in that area. So it obviously sucks to only be betting on these, these, you know, weird like <laughs> touchdown type of scenarios where he's catching maybe two or three passes a game. But yeah, I think to your point, if you don't have a top tight end, that's kind of the spot that you're in. And I think with the way that with the way that I see this Patriots offense progressing, it's not the worst bet that you can make at this point. Yeah. And I will say that the five touchdowns, I don't think they're they're totally fluky. I mean, there's there's always a little bit of it. Anybody that mm -hmm. sort of leads a position in, in touchdowns is going to almost always have a surplus relative to his expected touchdowns, looking at his, you know, distance from the end zone, his air yards, that type of stuff, the OTD stuff. But in that stretch of five touchdowns of the last six games, he has five end zone targets. That's tied for the second most of tight ends behind just Tyler Higby with six. He also has 3.0 expected touchdowns, second most of tight ends behind Tyler Higby. And among the, I think, maybe four tight ends at this point with five touchdowns on the season, the most of the position, he has the smallest surplus of 1.9 touchdowns over expectations, even better than, like, even, I guess, smaller, you would say, than Dawson Knox, the guy that you sort of think of as being an end zone threat. So I think if Knox was on your fantasy radar, I think Henry absolutely should be. So I feel like that's that's probably a good thing there for you. Uh, we've got another question here on the YouTube chat. I will point out that we're going to hold all the trade questions to the end, but we'll get back to you there, Trilly Seb. Appreciate the question. A couple more waiver wire guys to hit on before we get to the rookie wide receiver talk. We're kind of at the bottom of the barrel here, getting to the 1% fab range, but Devontae Freeman running back for the Ravens. The last couple of weeks, I mean, he's filled in pretty nicely for Latavius Murray. He's averaged 8.5 carries per game and 3.0 targets per game. You're always getting pretty good opportunities near the red zone with uh, Lamar Jackson-led offense, right? Um, and while this seemed like a short-term fill-in at the time, John Harbaugh at the time that Murray injured his ankle, he basically said he didn't think it was going to take a lot of time and he wasn't offering a lot of details. I don't know. It was a bit mysterious. Well, suddenly you look up and Murray hasn't played in two weeks, hasn't even practiced in two weeks. There was an estimated practice support for the team for Monday because I think they're the Thursday night game against the Dolphins, and he was estimated as not practicing then either. So I feel like Murray's probably going to miss the Thursday game, and I'm wondering then if maybe Freeman could pique your fantasy interest, Derek. He does a little bit. Um, the way that they've divided their backfield still kind of perplexes me, but I think what is kind of encouraging to me with Freeman 
um, is that with a lot of the like with Bell in particular, like when they get him on the field, they're just going to run him like like they put yeah. him on the field to do that. Um, and I think he can like pass block and stuff, but they really don't really want him being used as a, as a receiver very much, which I think with Freeman, I think we saw, especially in this last game, they were a lot more comfortable doing that. Just like getting him out in the flat, even the, the touchdown he caught. I think he lined up in the slot like they were in empty and like inside, inside the five or whatever. And he just kind of ran like a, a quick flat route there. Yeah. So I think he is kind of emerging as the guy who they feel is, you know, the best of both worlds or whatever. And I think for an offense that still doesn't really have like a true X factor type of guy, I think you need as many guys who can fill in holes uh, the best that you can. And I think Freeman has probably been the best at that to, uh, to this point. And I think he's honestly running fairly well. You're still not going to get any explosives out of him, but the offensive line is like very slowly getting a little bit more comfortable doing a lot of their, their gap and pull concepts and stuff like that. And I think Freeman is a pretty patient runner and has really adjusted to this style of running. Whereas, you know, mm -hmm. in Atlanta, he was really more of like a zone type of guy. So um, I think he's obviously, he, he's been running pretty well, not really going to give you any explosives, um, but I don't know. He kind of fills into this offense fairly nicely better than i thought he was going to when he, when he first got there i mean the, the irony is yeah i would have picked him last of these guys to be the yeah. versatile contributor but the stats are definitely ba uh, backing up what you're saying uh on sunday he had three targets bell had zero again this is a guy that kind of made his bones as a as a receiving back for for the steelers and tyson williams who i thought looked really explosive and versatile in the early season he had zero targets he didn't even get on the field basically um they're not playing him pretty much at all even with murray on the sidelines so i, I mean i think that that's that's the case. And if you look at the snap share, even before Murray was out, Freeman was kind of trending up 27% or so he started at 8% in week four, then 27%, 30%, and then up to 40 and 58% the last two weeks or last two games, I guess, with Murray on the sidelines. So I absolutely think you can fill him in this week. It's possible the Ravens could build a pretty big lead on the Dolphins, and that might be a good opportunity for Freeman to get some extra run too. So I think at least in the short term, he may be a good fill in option for you. And speaking of short-term fill-in options, our next waiver guy, Jordan Howard, the ageless one running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. Like if there's a back that ever belonged in this Ravens backfield right now, it's Jordan Howard. But the Eagles need him because Miles Sanders is on injured reserve, I think, for at least one more week. And Howard, it's kind of surprising here too, but he's been the lead, at least early down back for the Eagles the last couple of weeks, uh, even with, with Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell in the backfield. Uh, I don't know if you think that can continue, but the Eagles seem to like him and they seem to be running a lot more traditional running attack, whereas Jalen Hurts was sort of their de facto running game in the early season. You're noticing kind of a trend there that's, that's shifting with the team in general, Derek. I think once Sanders comes back, this is not going to continue. Um, mm -hmm. Well, for Howard, I mean, I think Howard is yeah. probably going to get phased back out um, because Sanders is not like the toughest guy between the tackles or whatever but i think he is yeah. fine enough that they can they can lean on him more of a, as a workhorse guy and i think he's obviously more explosive than howard is going to be but until sanders gets back i mean it seems like they to your point like very clearly trust him to be the guy on early downs um they also have done a lot better job of just leaning on the traditional run game to your point mm -hmm. like Early in the year, a lot of what their run game was like, they were using screens as extended run game. They were just throwing a ton to the flat, um, trying to, you know, get really cheap yak that way. They just weren't running the ball up the middle, whereas I think now they're a lot more comfortable doing that. Um, and their run scheme has, has always kind of been really good and, and really thoughtful, but like they just weren't doing it as much earlier in the year. Um, but now that I think they're leaning on it a little bit more and, and taking the pressure off of Hertz, I think this has done wonders for their offense. Um, 
So until Sanders is back, I kind of like this, even if it's just for this week. But I think once Sanders gets back, this is probably not something that's going to continue for Howard, unfortunately. Yes. I mean, I think it's just for this week, even if Sanders needs a little bit extra time. And the reason I'm saying Mm -hmm. that is I think the recent run owes a lot to the matchups. So the last two weeks, the Eagles have played the Lions and Chargers. They ranked 26th and 32nd in run defense DVOA. It's a big change from what they saw in the early season. And I think that probably contributes to why the Eagles have shifted philosophy to rely a little bit more on the traditional running game. They play the Broncos this week. That sounds like a scary matchup, but they're actually 27th in run defense TVOA, have a lot of injuries up front, have some real problems at linebacker. And even though I'd say they really handled the Cowboys last week, Derek, I don't know if you feel this way. It seemed like they were handling it because they were playing ball control offense and running the ball on the Cowboys. Well, I'm not really sure if they would actually have been able to stop guys like Ezekiel Elliott if, if, they, if they had had a little bit more run on offense. Do you sort of see it that way with this matchup too? Are the Broncos a favorable rushing opponent? I think so. I mean, the Cowboys were running the ball well until the game kind of got out of control and they just couldn't do it as much. Like, t- to your point, I think the, the Broncos really won that game because the offense was playing really well. And then um, for the Broncos' defense, like, they had some guys kind of step up in the secondary. You know, Caden Sturdens had a really good interception. He's a rookie, but like, yeah, Dak was just not accurate, which is like not something that is ever really a problem with him. I think it was just like a, a really odd um, performance. Credit to them, but like, I think to your point, this is a, a good run, a run defense that should be good for the Eagles. Um, I think for a couple of reasons, like you mentioned, like they're hurt up front and stuff, but like. The particular problems that the, this run defense has is that they really like getting up the field. Um, Draymond Jones in particular is a guy who, who's really just going to fly off the ball and try to be in the backfield. Yeah. Um, and their linebackers are really inexperienced. Like Baron Browning in particular is kind of a sea ball, chase ball kind of player. He doesn't really know what's going on yet, even if he's a really good athlete. So I think with some of what the Eagles have done um, with some of the QB run stuff that they've done, um, yeah. that you obviously have to keep track of some of the option stuff. Um, and then just the way that they've used their pulling guards, whether that's trap, um, power, that sort of thing, I think it's going to be really tricky for a, a offense that, or for a run defense that is really more about to like trying to just punch you in the mouth and get upfield than like, you know, controlling the line of scrimmage. So I think it's a pretty good opportunity for the Eagles here. Yeah, I agree. But again, I think it's a one week deal. Two weeks yeah. from now, the Eagles play the Saints again, that aforementioned number two run defense DVOA. And so if Sanders is back that week or back even the week after, I think it's kind of a one-and-done opportunity here for Jordan Howard. I mean, feel free to take advantage while you can, but don't expect a long-term benefit. And then I think we have one more of those type of players to suggest here, J.J. Taylor running back for the New England Patriots. I think I'm a little bit on an island here with with this one here, but I will point out that both Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, they suffered possible concussion, head injury type of injuries in the fourth quarter against the Panthers last week. So I'm kind of suggesting that if those two both miss, I bet the Patriots would rely a little bit more heavily on Taylor, despite him being a healthy and active the last two weeks. Uh, Brandon Bolden ended up getting a little bit extra work in this last game, but he was the only other healthy running back. Otherwise, he had never taken more than four carries in a game for the Patriots, and in my mind is kind of exclusively a receiving back. Taylor seems smaller. He's only 185 pounds, but he's five foot six, gives him a pretty decent 29.9 BMI. I think he would probably be the between the tackles runner for the team again if Harrison and Stevenson missed. Uh, what say you, Derek? Um, I mean, I think this is definitely only a play if, um, really, if both of those guys miss. Yeah, because it has I to think, be both. Yeah, Stevenson would be, be a workhorse if if necessary if he was the only one. Agree, because he's been he's been really good. Like I yeah. think Harris is still the better back, even though he wasn't as productive last week. But like Stevenson, like man, like he's not. You know, 
he doesn't have long speed, but like his contact balance is crazy. He runs really angry. Um, his vision is like not special, but I think he, he doesn't really run himself into too much trouble. Like um, I think Stevenson is just like a, a really, really good back, especially for the, the punch you in the mouth type of style that this team likes to run. You know, Harris is obviously the same way too. Yeah. Um, so I think to your point, it would have to be both of these guys out. Um, but JT Taylor probably does have some value if they're both out. Um, I think they still want to run the ball, even if both of those, those top guys are out. So um, Taylor is probably going to get some run there just kind of by, I mean, just by chance really, by because default. I think, yeah, you're right. yeah, like by default, because I think to your point too, like Bolden, I think is not, very much of a runner. I think he's more of a guy they want to get out um, in passing concepts and stuff, especially down the field. Whereas I think Taylor, you're probably just hoping that he can be small enough and work himself between the tackles enough that he's going to get work. But yeah, I, I don't love it if if either of these guys are healthy, but if they're both out, I mean, they're still going to want to run the ball and he's, yeah. you know, somebody has got to get those carries. Agreed. It's a conditional recommendation. And it's also like a deeper league only recommendation too. the Patriots play the Browns on week 10. They're the number three DVOA run defense. So not a great spot. They cut yards per attempt by 16%, touchdowns per attempt by 44%. Not quite the Saints, but uh, not necessarily a favorable matchup. So maybe kind of a strength on strength situation there with the Patriots in that matchup. But an option for you if you need guys to fill in for you at the bye week. All right, Derek, we're, we're early finished with those waiver wire guys, but that's good because we wanted to talk about some of the rookie wide receivers and get your, your scouting perspective on what you've seen from them so far for the season. Start that off with Jamar Chase, uh, obviously hugely successful in the early season. Uh, and then overall, 22.5% receiving DVOA is the fifth best of the 64 receivers with 32 or more targets. I'll point out specifically his 8.2% drop rate. That's 10th highest, but I wouldn't say in the scary range. So like I would say whatever concerns we had in the preseason about him dropping the ball, I don't think is a major concern now. But do you feel the same way? Like is this, this is the guy in the class, right? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that was true even coming in. Like, personally, I thought some of the talk of, like, he's a Julio Jones-level prospect was, like, a little too much. And I think, honestly, it still is, even for as well as, as he's played. But, I mean, I think he just looks fantastic. Like, he, hmm. he's not – he he plays so much bigger than he is. He's only, like, six foot or, or something, or maybe six one. But, like, he just plays like he's massive. Um, It's kind of in the same vein that, like, A.J. Brown plays a lot bigger than he, yeah. he really is. Um, I think he's just such a good bully. I think he's done even better off the line of scrimmage um, than I thought he might coming into the league because for as for as big for as strong and like bully type mentality as he is, like some of his stuff off the line of scrimmage against press could be like kind of sloppy, and he would just win through raw strength, which was mm. a little bit concerning coming into the NFL. But I think he's looked so much cleaner um, than I expected this year, and I think that that's been a really big boon for him. Um, the issue I think really that he's only had the past couple of weeks is like if teams are going to start capping him a, a little bit with like extra safety help, it's it's really just harder for anybody to get further down the yeah. field. And I think he's just going to have to develop his route tree underneath. But that was even kind of what I said coming in. Like he was going to be a guy who's really good on nine routes, really good on slant routes, um, really good on like stop routes. Um, and he's going to have to develop the rest of his route tree. But I think he's so good on those things right now that he's he, he's going to be just fine down the road. So he's been fantastic. But what you were saying is interesting because it, it did seem like the the one like potential, not red flag, but like the the, the concern that the players had or the, the scouts had for him going from the SEC to the pros was that those SEC corners couldn't really press him. But like in the NFL, you have some bigger bodied corners that maybe they could knock him off his spot on the line and stuff. 
But from what I've seen, that's nearly not how defenses have approached him. They're kind of giving him free releases and stuff. Do you think, like, why are they doing that? Is is that a mistake in their strategy? Is that something that someone will try and that might become the strategy? Or are there things that Chase has changed that makes it difficult to actually, you know, knock him off the spot on the line? I mean, I think he's just better at it. Like, he's just a lot cleaner. Like, I think, you know, to your point in the SEC, he kind of got away with just being stronger than the other guy. It wasn't like he had some insane, like, footwork and and hand technique or whatever. But I think what you've seen of him in the NFL has been a little bit cleaner. I mean, there were a couple of reps where, like, Marlon Humphrey, Marlon Humphrey tried Mm -hmm. to press him, and he just completely worked him off the line of scrimmage, didn't even let Humphrey get a hand on him. Like, that shouldn't happen. Humphrey's really good. You know, he's been a little inconsistent this year, but like he's a really good corner, especially in press man. So like the fact that Chase, I think, could could do that in that scenario was really impressive. I think the approach that defenses are taking with playing him a little bit more off now is like it really, really forces him to be a little bit more um, deceptive and a little bit more cleaner getting in and out of his breaks. Whereas I think coming out of college, that's not really where he won. I think that was something that he needed to work on. And so if you assume NFL corners are smarter and can read him down a little bit, um, that was kind of how defenses are going to try to approach him. So obviously it hasn't worked all that well because once he gets the ball in his hands, he's just a freaking monster. Um, but yeah. I, I really don't I don't really blame NFL teams for trying to take that approach with him, especially with what little he's shown against, you know, some of these guys who have tried to press him. Absolutely. Uh, Sifter 132, we're going to get to your question, but we're holding the trade questions to the end of the show. So let's keep going with this this rookie receiver uh, halfway poll review here. Next up on the list, I'm just going in order of draft stock, Jalen Waddell. Uh, I would say it's been a bit of a disappointment for him so far. Negative 16.3% DVOA is eighth worst of the, the qualified receivers. But I'll also say just five deep targets of 21 or, or more air yards Chase has 16. You know, the, the positional lead is 18. Like in my mind, is Waddle good and incomplete? Because they're they really aren't using him in some of the ways that he would likely be best contributing in the NFL, right? Right, Derek? Oh, <clears throat> wow. Um, a hundred percent. Like I think Waddle he <clears throat> can be valuable in the short to intermediate area. And, and I think as he develops in his NFL career, he's going to have value in that. And I think especially on the RPO stuff, he's actually been good in that area for this team. But like he just doesn't have downfield value right now because Tua, I don't think, really wins there. Jacoby Brissett has hit, had issues this year, I think, even winning there. So, like, yeah, I think to your point, it's an incomplete. Like, he's going to have his best value getting down the field. Um, I don't know if he's, like, one-to-one a Tyreek Hill type of player. I think that that's hard for anybody to be. But yeah. I think the the ways that Hill wins are exactly the ways that you're going to want Bottle to win. And when you don't have a quarterback in an offense that can really get value out of him down the field right now, you're going to get this where he's just not particularly productive because you're just not getting the the strengths of his skill set. And like like I said, I think he can develop this short to intermediate stuff as he gets you know more comfortable in the league. But it just sucks that he can't really use his best trait right now to the fullest ability. Yeah, I mean, and the Dolphins also have a really disappointing pass protection, I would say, but some of their their you know first second year offensive linemen just haven't really lived up to the billing yet. So. There are multiple reasons why it really isn't working for the Dolphins right now, but I think hopefully in the long term it'll work out because Waddle is a special talent, obviously. Uh, next on the list, Devontae Smith. I was surprised by how hard of a time I had finding compelling stats to talk about him there. Negative uh, 8.6% receiving DVOA, a little bit worse than average, but not alarming in any way. The thing I settled on is that Smith, he's had more than 40% of the Eagles' air yards and if you look at the list of wide receivers that are in that mix, it's a lot of stars. It's like Brandon Cooks, Terry McLaurin, Devontae Adams, J- Jamar Chase, obviously, Tyler Lockett, DJ Moore, 
uh, guys that are just below the list include Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. It's like stars, stars, and stars, and then Devontae Smith. Does that mean anything to you about Smith the player, or is that kind of telling you a bit about what the Eagles roster is like, or maybe what, what Jalen Hurts is like as a, as a guy that's willing to attack down the field? It's a little bit of some of those things, but I think Devonta Smith is really an incredible player. Um, and, and I would say he's more complete than Chase is right now. Um, I think like there's just nothing that is out of Smith's range. He's incredible off the line of scrimmage. He's a really clean route runner. I think his hands are really good, especially for his size. He makes some crazy contested catches for a guy his size. Um, he just finds the ball really well. He's a burner. I think he's a guy who can separate both like across the field and down the field. Um, I just I think everything is open for Devonta Smith. Like he can just do everything. Mm. What I would say is that obviously, like what Chase is great at, he is like, you know, he's better at that than whatever Smith's peaks are right now. Um, like when when Chase gets the ball in his hands, I mean, it's just over. Uh, <laughs> and Smith doesn't necessarily have like a true true X factor right now. Um, but I think he's just so good at everything that I think whether it's hurts developing. Um, over the course of the year and into next year, whether they get a new guy, whatever it is, I think just as he develops in his career, he's going to be an incredible, like true number one ex receiver, even if he's not this like, you know, big Mike Evans type or whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring it up with Chase because there's so many cool things to talk about with him, but <laughs> 1.5 yards after the catch plus is second best. Like that's the metric that adjusts yards after the catch for how deep you're seeing your target. So it's like mm-hmm. he's a downfield stretcher that then also gets tons of yards after the catch is a pretty dirty combination. Like that should be illegal. You're not <laughs> supposed to, you're supposed to be one or the other. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but speaking of yards after the catch, uh, your guy Kadarius Tony, I would say we talked about him a few times earlier in the season in the preseason. I think we both were a little worried that he might be more of a gadget type of player. But from an efficiency standpoint, really good so far in his rookie season, 8.6% DVOA. But I think a lot of this is yak driven. He's got 5.7 yards after the catch is fifth highest, 1.2 yak plus is fifth highest. And correspondingly, the 6.5 yard average depth of throw or target is very low for a wide receiver. Do you think that sort of split, is that suggesting to you that he is a gadget player? Is it maybe that he's a long-term fit from the slot since that's where he's played some replacing Sterling Shepard? Or do you think that's just kind of where he's winning right now because the Giants can't do a lot otherwise, and maybe in the long term he can do more? I still have my concerns about what Kadarius Tony can be long term. Um, I think he's been even more productive in this like short gadget type role than I thought he was going to be as a rookie. Yeah. Um, even some of his route running in the short area has been really impressive. He even had a couple of like decent um, crossing routes from the slot, like to your point. So I think maybe he could move back to the slot. He played a decent amount of it at Florida. Um, but I don't know. As like a long-term, like true number one type, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. He's not a guy who you're ever going to want running your your stop routes, your comeback routes, um, dig routes, like stuff like that. That's just not where he wins. I think you want to get him the ball as quickly as possible. Um, and the the Giants have done that to their credit. I think he's done a pretty good job of just getting the ball quick. Um, the yak stuff is probably going to continue. I, I mean, he's yeah. just insanely, insanely explosive, um, and just has like a like his pattern of movement is really unique like i don't even know how to describe it but it's just like it's it's hard to there's not really a comparison for the way that he moves um uh which i think it goes well for him because it's obviously hard for defenders to read if it's hard for us to read so um i think the yak stuff is really good for him but i have concerns about what he's going to be long term but like maybe if the the giants can get their receiving core healthy and have other guys fill in those roles it doesn't even really matter yeah 
All right, next on the list, Rashad Bateman. Only been back for a few weeks from the preseason injury, only seen 20 targets so far, but I would say the early returns are really good. He's got a 60% success rate, which I mean, I think even for a Drew Brees type of receiver, that would be really good. But with Lamar, that's a guy that had a reputation as being a bit inaccurate as a passer. So you love that. Uh, Bateman's first 10 receptions were all for new first downs. And I know it's early, but it, the read to me is kind of what you were saying in the preseason, where this is a really good complement to what Marquise Brown is on the outside. Do you still feel that way? Absolutely. I, I mean, he's just been so good, I, I think. Um, and I think it's been really important for this offense to have like a true number one that they can just set all by himself to one side of the formation, overload the other side and just say, hey, you need to win on an eight yard curl route or, hey, you need yeah. to win this slant route, like that type of thing. He can do it every time. I mean, he's just incredibly explosive. I think the way that he gets out of his breaks is really um, impressive. What really impresses me most with him, though, is the way that he catches the ball out of his frame. He has pretty long arms and he's he doesn't let the ball like come into him and yeah. give defenders a chance at it or the chance that it's going to like bounce off of his chest if he's a little too late to clasp it like he'll get all the way out there and catch the ball as far away from his body as possible and just bring that sucker in. Like there was one play, I think a third and four where Lamar had to scramble and Bateman was crossing the field and, and Lamar finally saw him and he just plucks this ball like way out of his frame. And it was like, I don't know, man, the Ravens haven't really had a guy who could do that with Lamar Jackson. And so I think the fact that they have it now is, is really, really good for their offense. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm all the way in on Bateman, especially with, with his connection with Jackson so far. So if I were self-critiquing, I would say that Bateman has been the conspicuous absence from my recent waiver wire articles, given that he's been in a lot of other authors' waiver articles. And the reason I haven't had him in there is because I think once Sammy Watkins comes back, it may kind of squeeze out to where neither Watkins or Bateman is getting the volume to support a fantasy role. But do you think I'm wrong? Like, I, I grant you he's a very different type of player, and we've seen Lamar advance a lot, not just in terms of accuracy, but in willingness to stretch the field with his wide receivers. Can Bateman have fantasy value the rest of this season? I think so, because I, I do think Watkins was actually playing well and gave the offense something that they needed in that kind of short to intermediate area, kind of to the same vein that, that Bateman was in the sense that, like, hey, you just need to win on a slant route. He was kind of their, their best guy for that. Um, but I think Bateman at this point is just flatly better. Like he, he just mm -hmm. catches the ball better at this point. He's, he's a little bit better at getting open. And I think to your point too, about pushing the ball down the field at this stage in their career, Bateman's better for that. I think, um, you know, Lamar had the one play where he was like rolling out and, and under threw it like slightly and Bateman got a, a PI call for him. Um, but I mean, that type of thing, like I think Jackson is just more comfortable throwing to Bateman on that type of stuff than he ever was with Watkins. And again, that's not to say the Watkins stinks or whatever, but I think there is something kind of intangible already about the way that, that Jackson feels really comfortable with Bateman that I think is, is encouraging moving forward. Yeah. So, I mean, that's great. Uh, it's, it's, it's never going to be the perfect fantasy situation because of how run oriented the Ravens are. Right. But curious, like if you were from a real NFL sense, if you were redrafting all of these players, would Bateman be the number three receiver behind, you know, Smith and Chase in some order, or, or where would he stack up from, from any team's kind of point of view? Um, I think so. I, I mean, you know, Chase or Smith, it, it's kind of just to me kind of do you want the guy who's great at a couple of things or do you want the guy who, who's kind of the, the best of everything um, with Smith? And then Bateman is probably the next after that. And I think why Bateman is, is nice, too, is like 
I don't feel like he's as scheme dependent as a couple of these other guys after him are, you know, like mm-hmm. Rondell Moore or Kadarius Tony, even like, yeah, I think Bateman, you can kind of just throw into any offense. He's your ex. And like, that's that just, you know, set it and forget it. I think that might be a really relevant concern for people playing dynasty type formats in fantasy. Cause you, you never know how these things will play out over the long term. Again, you can see it with Lamar this season, how much he's advanced as a passer. Um, we talked a bit about Elijah Moore earlier. I don't know if you have anything to add, Derek. My basic takeaway was Moore seems like a bit of a victim of poor circumstances for his short-term fantasy value. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much all it is. Like the offense just doesn't know what it's doing. He is just, it doesn't make sense. Wilson's particular play style doesn't really make sense with more producing, especially with those two early on. So yeah, I think it's kind of just a, a circumstance more than anything. I think he's a, a pretty good player. Never going to be like an all pro or anything, but I think he's going to be a pretty productive player for a long time. Okay. Then let's talk about the other more, the last receiver that I wanted to bring up here, Rondale Moore. You mentioned that he's a little bit more, you know, specific to a specific scheme. And I would say like statistically, he looks a lot like Kadarius Tony in the way that he's been used so far. Uh, negative 0.2% receiving DVOA. So basically middle of the pack in terms of efficiency, but 1.8 yard average depth of target. That's, that's half of what Corderell Patterson's is wide receiver, right? It's so like more is, <laughs> is the lowest among all real wide receivers for sure. But 7.7 average yards after the catch, that's a, a yard higher than any other receiver. 1.3 yak plus as well as third best. So it's, it's not just that he's catching balls like a running back, but he's really working with the balls in his hands. And it's just like having a lot of success after the catch. Is that what he's going to be long-term too? And is that good for fantasy or would you want to see a, like a more diverse route tree? I still want to see a lot more and we've seen it in like very brief glimpses. Like I think he caught like one crazy sideline ball um, Mm -hmm. from Murray that I didn't think that he had in him, which was really impressive. So obviously I want to see more of that, but I think he should still continue to be productive in this role. I think he's, his yak is different from Tony in the sense that Tony is a little bit more to me, like somebody who, if you're in a phone booth, phone booth with him, trying to play tag, you're not going to touch him. Like he's just that explosive, that fast. Um, that sort of thing. Whereas I think more is a little bit less of that and a little bit more of if he gets the angle to run past you, he's beating you every single time. Like yeah. he's just crazy, crazy fast. His acceleration is, is unbelievable. So um, I think particularly in an offense like Arizona's where they're good at manufacturing tough angles and space out on the perimeter and stuff like that, he's a really good fit. But I think to your point long-term, I would like to see him be more of a real wide receiver the good news is this year is like they don't need that obviously they have you know aj green christian kirk um deandre hopkins when he's healthy so and they've gotten production out of their tight end so like they don't need him to be that yet you just obviously hope that he can be so they don't have to pay other guys in the future yeah and i think we talked in the preseason about this wasn't more like a sub four four guy at wide receiver it's like he's got like exceptional speed and even though that's never really what's been asked from him at either college or so far in the limited amount of time in the pros Hopefully in the long term, he could do that and maybe be, you know, the kind of player we were hoping Paris Campbell was going to be before he ended up getting hurt. Sadly to say, I don't know if that's going to work out for us. <laughs> All right, Derek, like, I don't know if you have any other rookie receivers to talk about. I cut it off there. Not a lot of the other guys have been playing much besides maybe Amon Ross St. Brown, but more of a mid mid round guy. Anybody else strike your fancy that you would want to talk about real quick? Um, No, I think those, that's pretty much all the all the important ones, at least. Okay, great. Then let's circle back to the couple of questions from the YouTube chat. Again, as mentioned, Football Outsiders is live streaming Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. And if you hop on YouTube, you can ask us questions and we're happy to answer those. We have a couple of trade slash, you know, stash related questions. The first from Truly Seb, 
He is suggesting a trade of Cooper Cup and Christian McCaffrey for Dalvin Cook and Devontae Adams, asking who is winning the trade. Um, I would say from like an expected value, if they're all healthy perspective, it would be almost an exact push in my mind. But given that I feel McCaffrey has a substantially higher injury risk, which I can't believe I'm saying this related to Dalvin Cook, <laughs> um, I would take the, the side that I presume is more likely to be healthy the rest of the way in Cook and Adams, even though Cook has been, even though Cup, I would say, has been the more successful fantasy option so far. Derek, do you feel the same way? Yeah, I think it's kind of just a bet on health more than anything. I think if it was just straight up and we just assumed that these players were all going to be healthy, I would actually probably lean Cup and McCaffrey. Um, I think especially in PPR, like Cup is just going to catch yeah. a billion passes and it's going to continue McCaffrey to do so. Too, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe if PPR, even with the health thing, you keep Cup and, Mc and McCaffrey. But um, I think because of the health, maybe Cook and Adams makes more mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Then one more question here from Sifter132. He's asking for thoughts about Curtis Samuel. He's been trying to stash him, but isn't sure it's worth it. But of note, he plays in a 16-team league, and it feels confident he's going to make the playoffs. So maybe he doesn't need Samuel in the immediate sense. Uh, I'm not actually sure if Samuel's going to return this week. I don't think he is, even though the Washington's coming off the bye. I had some optimism for Samuel in the beginning of the season because you know they didn't have an obvious number two receiver. You know, Deami Brown was maybe a second or third round pick, but he's been hurt too. So like none of those guys has really emerged, but I would say with as good as McLaurin is, as, as featured as he is, and then Washington getting Logan Thomas back right now, the, the tight ends, I don't know if it's going to really work out for Samuel this season, even if he can shake off the hamstring injuries, I would say, feel free to cut him. I don't know if you feel any differently though, Derek. Uh, I, I don't have too strong of an opinion on this. Like I think there's a world where maybe like, I think Washington's quarterback play is better than it probably seems with the way that they keep losing games. But I think yeah. um, Heineke is really not a bad player. So maybe if they, they can get a guy like Samuel back into the lineup and he can play well, then, you know, maybe he can produce a little bit. But I think to your point, like he's been injured for so long at this point, the offense does have other guys when they're healthy. So it's probably not even worth stressing about, especially if you think you're already going to be in the playoffs anyway. Okay. I feel that way too. Uh, this was great, Derek. I'd love to get your perspective on those rookie wide receivers sounds like you have some other prospecting stuff going on, maybe Bleacher Report or elsewhere. Tell everybody where they can catch all of your work, not just from Football Outsiders. Yeah, so I've got some gambling stuff going on over at uh, Odds Checker every week. And then, yeah, with Bleacher Report, we um, are really getting into like the, the, the meat of things. We had our big board a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, we had a mock draft recently. Um, I'm doing all the front seven stuff, so... Um, not as much looking into the receivers yet, but, um, it's a crazy good pass rusher class. So even though that's not <laughs> fantasy relevant, if your team needs one, it's a great class for that. Um, and then obviously my film room over at football outsiders, which again, I don't know what I'm going to end up doing. <laughs> and yet you always pull a great topic out. So you're like, you know, you're really a guy that works under, under deadlines very well. I'll say, uh, if you have more waiver wire questions, check out footballoutsiders.com, My waiver wire article for week 10, it's either up now or will be up soon after you're hearing this. You'll probably see some extra guys there that we didn't have time to discuss today. Also, feel free to ask me questions or Derek questions on Twitter. I'm at Scott underscore Spratt. He's at QB class with a K. Uh, I'll also mention that Football Outsiders Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week right now for limited time only for annual subscriptions. That'll get you all of our stats analysis, fantasy stuff. We've got the, uh, the, the fantasy projections and the research tools, betting information. It's a limited time offer, so be sure to head over to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe to check that out. And also pitching to Edge Sports Coach Rankings, debuting on uh, for tomorrow for the season uh, on YouTube. That'll be a lot of fun. Always a fun thing to argue about one way or the other. Check that out. 
check out the, the, the show tomorrow with Mike Tanier and Aaron Schatz and ask me anything so you can ask them questions, not just fantasy questions, whatever it is that you want to ask. Uh, thanks so much for sticking with the show today. If you have more fantasy discussions you want to get to, we'll be back on the air on Friday, and we look forward to talking to you guys then.